What is happening to the surface of the planet Earth and to California's Central Valley? Is this California business as usual? Or is this the fight over human and non-human rights? What are the honest, hardcore facts about reckless human behavior that cause the peril that humans make for each other? And what can we do? Where do we find the promise for a better world? Stay tuned for this week's installment. I am Pegasus, your host for The Peril and the Promise. Sponsored by the Peace Life Center of Modesto. Today we'll hear from Chris Gutierrez regarding the sixth mass extinction of flora and fauna on Earth, as well as organizing community members around local issues for any particular California watershed region that includes Modesto. And a bit later, some Stockton women will talk about human rights issues in the Central Valley. Let's start with Chris. And you live in Southern California, right? I do. What's the work you do there um, with uh, the main climate action group you work with? Climate Action Santa Monica is the main group that I team with and help lead. I am the co-chair and the program director for the CASM Climate Corps. CASM stands for? Climate Action Santa Monica. But I also like to say CASM reminds us we're going to need to leap the CASM from where we are to where we need to be. Yeah. And that's perfect for the theme of our show, uh, which is called The Peril and the Promise, because we talk about the um, the perils, the, the, the difficulties, what is threatening our, our lives and the environment, and what is the promise? Where's the hope? Um, do you see any hope in the work that you do with CASM? Absolutely. I see hope in, the, first, the beginning of being aware of how did these perils come about? How is it that we find ourselves seemingly living a good life in some place like Santa Monica and confronting real challenges of wildfires and uh, suffering the five-year drought that this year has abated but has been a concern for so many people? In a place like Santa Monica, we've been fortunate to have community and many of the youth involved in sustainability measures. And several years ago, even with that, a number of us who have been active in nuclear abolition or community building exercises or rent control, as we were one of the originators of that as a city, came together concerned that even though the city is doing a lot of good work, a lot of people don't know about it when it comes to climate. And do we need a different way to address uh, building a climate constituency? We didn't know what that really would amount to, but what it has led to is this now six-year-old entity that is community-centered, but regionally, nationally, and internationally connected with helping not just uh, residents, but visitors, yeah. young people, uh, understand how is climate and the concerns of what we're confronting a personal matter. Now, for most of the listeners of The Peril and the Promise, we're in the Central Valley of California. Do you have any of any aspects that you could talk about with your group, with CASM, that is like importable, this community organizing model? What, what advice do you have for somebody that would want to start a climate action group in uh, the Central Valley, in a different area that's not where you live? So a couple of things that became prominent to, to us. One was having public forums uh, or places to discuss what is our local city or right. council or some community 
effort underway now either on confronting it could be certainly now we have water but it might be uh, preserving those waters or, or other issues of farmland or growing food sustainably what's going on that we are not talking about in a more mm -hmm. visible way that's what we had to do and and to really enable not alone pulling from the city or the, whatever that entity of authority was yeah. uh, expert thinkers and then engage more local residents and young people in discussions around that that's one element so to look at what is happening even yeah. in a small or or maybe not so small way but how to extend that mm -hmm. and engage by building relationships now you have um it's not just uh, people that grew up in the united states that are part of your right. group are there any migrants or other folks uh, that are new to Santa Monica that have helped you out, that are part of uh, CASM? It's a wonderful question. So about three and a half years ago, we had a light rail coming in, uh, finally, from the downtown LA to the sea in Santa Monica. And we decided as CASM, we needed a different way to engage the community about the value of that. So we worked with the local community college and high school to co-design what we call the CASM Climate Corps. Okay. And many of those high school or particularly college students who applied and then were accepted by us to go in the streets, engage with people, are immigrants. Oh. Um, and they're not just immigrants from Latin America, but from places like Turkey. And one young woman, whose name is Marina Haleva, has just been a stunning example of a young person who understands what it means to be responsibly living simply and powerfully on the planet, from the planet. Mm -hmm. She came to Santa Monica to study hospitality and hotel management, because oh, she yeah, had some hotel. degree in that from Turkey, but she ended up being reminded of her deep passion for nature, having mm -hmm. grown up on a farm. And here she found herself in 2014 in a city that cares about sustainability, and climate action was just starting. By uh -huh. 2016, she had become, at the college, a leader on sustainability mm -hmm. workshops and joined us as a CASM Climate Corps. She's a Thank fabulous you. example of the power of a young presence. Um, can you talk for a minute about the linkage between uh, nuclear weapons power, you know, the whole nuclear issue? How does that connect with climate change and other kinds of threats to the environment? I think fundamentally, one thing we're trying to help the young people understand, and they already get it on some visceral level, is that we are all of the biosphere. And when that is understood deeply, and we can talk about not just how greenhouse gas emissions and other pollutants have, have heated the planet, but what are the industrial and mechanisms of living that have driven that kind of pollution? And then that will relate to the war making and the weapons industry. And sadly, horribly enough, the nuclear weapons industry that is perpetuated, has been perpetuated presumably for efforts of self-defense, but clearly efforts of resource uh, control. And young people begin to rethink, why do nuclear weapons put us in such a peril at the same time that the climate emergency puts yeah. us in a peril? And they begin to understand these twin, and I would throw in, you know, the sixth extinction, it, you know, is a triplet. These crises are one and the same, right. and they're rooted an estrangement we have with yeah. who we are as uh, what I like to call a creature of the biosphere. Right, the biosphere is like our home. Now, you mentioned the sixth extinction. I know that there's a few of our listeners that aren't 
thinking about what were the first five and was that during the human era? Can you name uh, this, this idea of Earth and six mass extinctions? Right. Well, over the billions of years that the Earth has existed, uh, one could argue you know, in a natural way, there have been in evolution these periods and always somehow attached to a climate shift. Yeah. Uh, and I don't remember all the particular names, but there have been five previous significant devastations of the species on Earth. The Many species, yeah. Many species, and half the species, three quarters of the species. At these other and five times. Exactly. And what is it at now? And With this sixth, when did that start and how many are... Many of the uh, species that we've documented, and the Center for Biodiversity is a great okay. source of understanding our, uh, you know, we're up to half our species uh, that we understand. And, Wait, and you're talking about flora and fauna? Flora and fauna. Um, but what's troubling is we expect in natural cycles a number of species to become extinct over a life cycle, not a short life cycle, but an extensive life cycle. Uh -huh. But that rapid acceleration has has been increasing over the years to be at a place where we are now confronting half uh, of our species known to us. And of course, there are mutations all the time and there might be some other, yeah. other equations, but we're really having to confront that. For instance, people know about the bees. People know about, in California, many of us understand the pollinator of the butterflies and, and the migratory patterns of the, of the monarch have been so disrupted by misland use and uh -huh. um, um, chemicals and Roundup and other things. But that devastation and that acceleration is also copacetic with the climate shift that is now radically uh, redefining what we can expect as seasonal, uh, seasonal temperatures and, and the general heating yeah. of the planet. Currently on Earth, we're in the sixth extinction as far as we know for the, the uh, 4.5 billion years of the planet. So do you know when the uh, sixth extinction began on Earth and is it, the, is it commensurate with the Anthropocene or the Ecozoic era? The sixth extinction roughly has been looked at since the 1950s. There's not a hard date, but the Anthropocene is thought to be uh, the era that's emerged out of the industrialization, late mm -hmm. 19th century, particularly accelerated with weapons of mass destruction, right. and hence leading to, um, including with the life cycle of the weapons of mass destruction production, uh, the sixth extinction. So there, yeah. there's a general century of uh, better understanding. This is Pegasus. We're here uh, talking to Chris Gutierrez. We're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned for more from Chris Gutierrez on the peril and the promise. Welcome back to The Peril and the Promise. I'm your host, Mr. Pegasus here, with a little bit more from Chris Gutierrez before we turn to Lynn Kirkconnell and Sister Judy Lou McDonald over in Stockton, California. We're in an outdoor area, so there's been some background audio, which is okay, in um, the Bay Area of California. So thank you, Chris, for coming to this bioregion to talk for a, a little while for our audience here on The Peril and the Promise. Tell us about the sunrise. Mm. Sunrise movement. Well, I discovered the Sunrise Movement myself only about eight months ago. It's a really powerful network, only a few years old, of young people in their early teens to their mid to late 20s who have come together to basically reinforce enough. 
Uh-huh. enough and to come with imagination and activist gusto to put their arms out and embrace and their foot down in a in a grounded sense of we need to move in a healthy direction the green new deal is an example yeah. of their revolutionary in a transformative way uh, accomplishments and and so they are they are the young people who confronted recently senator Diane Feinstein okay. on on the quality of her work but they're going on tour right now oh, wow. throughout the United States to deepen through town halls and other ways the understanding of the Green New Deal. Okay. Why it's a transformation yeah, for through, um, uh, through driving energy shifts that will drive uh, justice and jobs effort. and yeah. the cl- Because there is no climate paradigm shift without a justice shift. And the environmental work and the peace work that addresses a deep understanding of rootedness starts in justice and love. And so the Sunrise Movement has helped other policymakers make those connections. Uh Great, thank you, that's excellent. People can learn more about the Sunrise Movement at sunrisemovement.org. Thank you for, uh, Chris, for talking to us about these many, many issues. We've been hearing from Chris Gutierrez of Santa Monica regarding environmental issues and local organizing to give the people a voice in protecting our watershed environments. Welcome back to the Peril of the Promise. I'm Mr. Pegasus, your host today, as we now turn to Sister Judy Lou McDonald and her co-worker, Ms. Lynn Kirkconnell. I'm here on the phone with Sister Judy and her colleague, Lynn, who do their social justice ministries over in Stockton. Judy and Lynn, can you tell us your full names and what, what your uh, religious orders you've been associated with in the past? Sure. Um, this is Sister Judy Lou McDonald. I am a Dominican sister of San Rafael, and I've been in ministries in Antioch, San Francisco, Vallejo, and San Rafael and Stockton, all here in California. But I was also in mission with the Marino sisters for 18 years in Bolivia and Brazil. Great. Hi, and I'm Lynn Kirkconnell, and we are very grateful for um, this opportunity to uh, be with you this afternoon on the show. Um, years ago, I taught French in high school in New York for 11 years, and then served as eight years as a Marino lay missioner and 12 years as a Marino sister in Peru, Bolivia, and Brazil. After co-founding the immigration program at Catholic Charities in Stockton and working there with El Concilio, I have been now been promoter, co-promoter with Judy of Justice, Peace, and Care of Creation for Dominican Sisters of San Rafael and the Dominican Sisters of Mission San Jose. So that's what we're doing uh, more recently. Got it. And you guys are based in Stockton, and I met you at uh, Livermore when I went to demonstrate there for peace and justice and the end of nuclear weapons uh, probably about seven years ago. Um, do you still go to Livermore Lab for any of the demonstrations there? Oh, yes, we do. And in fact, uh, we do go twice a year on Good Friday, which is the um, ecumenical prayer service where we actually have uh, prayer and preaching and walk to the main gate. Some of us uh, do get arrested. And you and uh, Chelsea used to help to round us up. You also got arrested. We remember that. And then we go back again in August. Um, either August 6th or August 9th, depending on the uh, remembering uh, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. And we usually get arrested then also. 
Great. Yeah. Thank you for that summary. And so that's how I met you. And I'm wondering what you guys consider are the biggest human rights challenges facing folks in the Central Valley of California? Well, we, we've been wondering about that. There are so many, but yeah. I, I think that we would consider um, certainly the situation of Central Americans seeking asylum um, in the United States and in, in California and coming through the Central Valley and living here. Um, so the situation that uh, asylum seekers and migrants face is one, uh, human trafficking, because we've, we're both so involved in that, and I-5 that comes right through Central California, is uh, it's really a root of human trafficking. And, and if you don't think human trafficking takes place in your small town, then um, you're just not aware, because it's everywhere. And it's not just um, people coming from other countries, it's also a 14,000 U.S. Um, U.S. children that are drawn into human trafficking every year. So it's really a horrific challenge that we face to try to, to end that. Judy and I just came from a, uh, a three-day program by the Leadership Conference of Women Religious in St. Louis. That was last week, and it was on racism. And we really feel that racism is at the root cause of a lot of the anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric uh, that we hear, and the uh, treatment of people of color. So that's something that really big that we need to look at. Yeah, um, definitely. And um, on that note, what is the work of the California Immigrant Policy Center? Do you know what their main uh, focus is or their main campaign right now? Oh, gee, we get their information once a month. And also we can, uh, put, their, uh, we can put their website at the end of this program and link it to our website for people that need more information on that as well. That would be really important because I know they work a lot on the laws and that's why the lobby day in Sacramento is, is very important. Well, it's, it's also an organization that, uh, well, it's called the Policy Center, but it, it's really a a partnership uh, with the Asian Pacific American Legal Center, uh, CHIRLA, the Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights of Los Angeles, and the National Immigration Law Center, NILC, and Services Immigrant Rights and Education Network of San Jose. And uh, they do a lot of lobbying and uh, advocacy work for, on behalf of the immigrants, and have this um, annual gathering in Sacramento uh, with the usual, um, like a, a, a march, march uh, to the Capitol, speeches, and then uh, breaking up into groups to lobby certain members of the legislature. So it's quite a full day and very active. Lots and lots of really young people get involved in that. Oh, that's good news that there's a lot of advocacy going on for people to um, try they, to... They, they, their main goal is to really uh, influence in the state uh, on behalf of immigrants. Right. Um, offhand, do you have any uh, statistics on how many people do uh, immigrate each year? Is the population of California increasing or decreasing? I don't have statistics on that, but we, I think we have, we've heard that about 100,000 people have been crossing the border monthly. Um, it's way, way, way up, but they're not all in California. So I really don't know what the statistics would be here in our, our uh, state. And um, you both seem to be Catholic identified. I wonder if you've read the, the letter from the, the Bishop of Rome, uh, Francis, called Laudato Si, if you have any thoughts about that. 
Yes, we could tell you a little bit about that. Well, we um, Our concern for the earth community and um, the air we breathe, the water we drink, and, uh, and the fact that as an earth community, we we inhabit this with the plants and the animals. Um, you know, we co-inhabit this earth. So the San Rafael Dominicans did endorse the earth charter, and we have a committee that works on the earth charter propositions and does educational events based on this. We're also very aware of the urgency on the Earth if we are to survive as a species and if Earth and its creatures are to survive as we know them today. Here in, in Stockton, we helped to organize and present a workshop on Laudato Sea. That was about two years ago, I think. It's about 80 people attended from the Stockton area. Interest was very high, and we hope that the information shared was Arched people to awareness and action regarding laws that uh, would help our environment and uh, looking into solar panels and you know just being aware of, of what's needed. We um, we send out a weekly or almost weekly justice update. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that. Yeah, yeah, we touch on various issues and one of them would be uh, climate and environment uh, when we know there is something coming up in the legislature. So. We encourage the sisters to make phone calls or visit their um, their representatives, but this goes to about um, 200 people. Anyone who would like to sign up on our on our list uh, would get that. And then whenever we know that there's something urgent coming up, we try to get that out so people will will raise their voices and um, make their voices uh, known. And we certainly, certainly hope that the U.S. will re-enter the Paris Climate Accord. We did have three Dominican sisters representing us um, in the United States that we supported to go to the Paris Climate Accords. And we're very active there, came back wanting so much to uh, have all of us be part of, of helping to make changes happen. You know, we need to be back in that, and we need to be working toward reducing uh, carbon Emission, uh, carbon emission. He did uh, ask about uh, Pope Francis and his um, pastoral letter, Laudato Si. You know, ever since he became Pope, he has spoken uh, on behalf of the poor and the migrant. Exactly. And has great compassion uh, for the cry of the poor and the cry of the earth yeah. uh, together mm-hmm. in Laudato Si, uh, which was called On Care of Our Common Home. Uh, this this letter uh, had a lot of influence and is still being considered in many quarters and has actually been taken some of its principles to the United Nations and other world meetings and popular meet, popular movements, such as the Paris Treaty on Climate Change. We think that his document was very influential in helping to get most countries, not ours, to, to embrace that. And um, he, he actually created a special section on migrants and refugees. I see. And uh, this, this is action-oriented in the Vatican, and it helps the church worldwide to support all those uh, who are really suffering forcible displacement uh, because of conflict in their countries, natural disasters, um, religious persecution, and, and even extreme poverty that we know is happening in many, many countries. He's very supportive also of, of um, victims of human trafficking. All of these are treated in that document, Maldato Singh. I'm here on the phone with Sister Judy and her colleague, Lynn, who do their social justice ministries over in Stockton. Stay tuned.
are listening to The Peril and the Promise, and I am Pegasus. And we are finishing up our conversation with Sister Judy and her colleague, Lynn. We're returning to the topic of climate refugees and other reasons for immigration. Over 250 million uh, migrants throughout the world. And now we have how many millions coming up just from our own Central America into California seeking asylum because they cannot live in their own countries. Yeah. So the book is different stages in responding to forced migration. He says, first, we need to welcome, we need to protect, we need to promote and integrate refugees. We also need to consider that there are different phases of their journey. There is the actual whatever is going in in the country of origin that may need to be addressed. Um, there's the whole phase while they're in transit. Usually they have to go through a second country to get to a third or fourth country yeah. where they might be able to be granted refugee status. Or they might be able to return to their country of origin someday, and we need to be aware of that and, and do what we can can to help. Yeah, thanks. For a final comment, people in the Central Valley, how can folks, what should we be doing, number one and number two, to, to support um, a healthier scene for human rights in the Central Valley. We're on the anti-human trafficking task force of uh, San Joaquin County, mm-hmm. and uh, people could ask for presentations. We have people that go out and do presentations. We have uh, committees that work on distributing posters to co- to certain businesses that are supposed to have something up about human trafficking, like massage parlors and transit centers. Um, they could join um, any of this and work with us in um, in school. So if people are aware that there are posters that you could ask your school to put up about uh, human trafficking, it's it's really one of the issues that we work uh, very hard on here, and and lots of opportunities for people to be active if they want to be. So it sounds like uh, the people need to be educated to learn more about it, and then there needs to be policy changes in the governmental level. But I think there are a lot of actions we can do, and I guess it has to do with the education, you know, putting up the posters, train their staff to recognize it, to know what to do if you see it. Yeah, the education certainly comes comes first, the, the understanding of it, the, having it reach your heart, and then going to the action to, to try to change it. And certainly legislation is, is part of that. Great. And thank you. And earlier you said you have a, uh, an email listserv that uh, you, you uh, post bulletin points that people can uh, – uh, what, what's that? How would people get on that listserv? Let's see. They would have, they would have to um, send their email to justicepromoter at sanrafaelop.org. And San Rafael is S-A-N-R-A-F. A-E-L. Great. Just send a note there and ask uh, Judy or me to be placed on our justice list. That normally goes out um, every Wednesday. Uh, We create uh, publications and we'll put the publications on there also if they uh, get on that. It's justicepromoter at sanrafaelop.org. Well, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure and and, uh, really an honor. So thank you. You've been listening to The Peril and the Promise from kcbpradio.org, produced by Pegasus here at the Peace Life Center of Modesto. You can tune in every week at this time to learn about the peril that humans make for each other and the promise that we can make for a better world as community. 
Music on The Peril and the Promise is by Alzara Getz and Dorothy's Melting.